I magnify Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one eternal God. I'm glad to see each of you this morning. And as Brother Kevin just mentioned, indeed, for us, we found out last night the Lord already knew all about it. But I was scheduled to be in Lynchburg. And uh, the pastor who scheduled me had shared with some of the other brethren, pastor elders there at the church, that, uh, that, that he'd like for me to come. And they said, okay, line him up. And he lined me up, and then he forgot to tell them. <laughs> and he's in Africa. <laughs> he went on a missions trip. He's just texted me while we were here. I had texted him trying to find out what overnight accommodations he'd made for me last night. Couldn't get him. He texted me just now said, I am in Kenya. <laughs> anyway, the Lord, though, had ordered that otherwise for this purpose, I believe. We're thankful to be with you for, you, for your uh, kindness and having me to come as you have in the past, but for the opportunity to do so now, I thank Brother Kevin, Brother Paul, their kindness in coordinating and working together so that this could come about. It's good to be with you and to see each of you. I'm thankful. I trust the Lord will bless our time together. In the last hour, we turned to John chapter 1 and we looked at verses 1 through 18. And I'd like for us to turn back to John chapter 1, please, and to pick up at verse 19, where uh, we ended with verse 18 last hour, and, and to look at the words that we find in which John the Baptist gives testimony to our Lord Jesus. And as he does that, we find that there's a discussion that takes place with him on the part of some of the Jewish religious leaders, religious people who were concerned about the Old Testament, concerned about serving the God of Israel, but also concerned about his temple and about what had been promised concerning a coming Savior. And so we find their discussion and then we find the Lord Jesus being introduced by John. And we want to consider that together as we think about these these things that uh, the gospel writer John records. Let's begin, please, at verse 19. And uh, may we please read together through to, to verse 42 and uh, consider these things. And this is the record of John. That is the testimony of John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And when they were sent... Excuse me, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered him, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who cometh after me who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, 
After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, before he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again the next day after, John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonas. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Why don't we just add verse 43. We'll end there. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. We trust our God will add his blessing today to the reading, the hearing of his word. So we think together about it. We want to consider these things and trust that our God will grant us all to be, as we heard that last word of our Lord Jesus in verse 43, follow me, that he would grant us all as we see something of him today, something of his glory, something of who he is, but not only that, what he has done as John, the writer of the gospel by inspiration, presents it and reveals it to us. May the Holy Spirit indeed be the revealer and lead us to follow Him as well. May we together pray and ask His mercies on His Word. Father, we look to Thee in the name of Thy Word, Thy dear, dear Son, the Worthy One, the Word of whom we've read earlier in the last hour, the Word who was with Thee, Father, as God, and yet He is God. Father, we thank you for the fact that he became flesh. And as he became flesh by a virgin womb, we have beheld your glory, the glory of him, the only begotten of the Father, and seeing him we see thee. Father, we bless you for that, and we ask you in his name that you might grant now your blessing on your word, your mercies to us as we hear it. And Father, we pray that Thy Spirit give liberty not only for me in preaching, but also to each one in hearing Thy Word. Father, we pray for any that do not know Thee, that by Thy Spirit You would work through the Word and call them and cause them to come, Lord, in faith and repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, You do great things now. Be exalted in Thine own strength. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Amen. Well, as we come to these words of John 1 this morning, I want to give you by way of a title, Behold the Lamb. 
Behold the Lamb. But, but I'd also give to you the words of a, of a hymn as a title, the title of that hymn, at least one of them, Great God of Wonders. And if you would allow me to share with you some of the stanzas, the words of that hymn, it's written uh, by Samuel Davies, who was the president of Princeton College in its early days, in its better days, after Jonathan Edwards. Samuel Davies was a preacher from just over the line in Virginia. Uh, he pastored in some churches up there and then was called to the presidency of that school. And uh, when Mr. Spurgeon refers to him or this hymn, he'll refer to President Davies, not President of the United States, President of that college back in days past. This is a great hymn about God's forgiveness. Listen to it. Great God of wonders, all thy ways are matchless, godlike, and divine. But the fair glories of thy grace, more godlike and unrivaled shine. And then the refrain asks, Who is a pardoning God like thee? Or who has grace so rich and free? And then he says, In wonder lost with trembling joy, we take the pardon of our God, pardon for crimes of deepest dye, a pardon bought with Jesus' blood. Oh, may this strange, this matchless grace, this godlike miracle of love, fill the whole earth with grateful praise and all the angelic choirs above. Who is a pardoning God like thee? Or who has grace so rich and free? And I believe those words are appropriate words for what we look at today in the words of John chapter 1. We give you as another title, Behold the Lamb. The reason we do that is because that is what John the Baptist is declaring here that John the Evangelist, the Gospel writer, is recording. John's testimony, the testimony of the Baptist to our Lord Jesus Christ, but also we see something of his testimony concerning himself. And that testimony he gives about himself is something that I believe we can learn from, and by the grace of God, we can replicate by his Spirit in our lives. Let's think together about these words as we consider this, this that John by inspiration gives us in his gospel. And as we do, He's already made references, we saw last hour, to the testimony of John the Baptist. One reason we believe that John the Gospel writer did that is because in his ministry as an apostle of the circumcision, as Galatians 2 says about him, he ministered to a lot of the Jews that would have been in what we know today as Western Turkey. But in, in his ministry... We know them as the seven churches of Asia whom he addresses in the Revelation. And as he addresses them, there were those who were the object of his gospel ministry and the object of his teaching. And for many in that region, as we find in the book of Acts, there were those in Ephesus and as well the outlying region who had come under in some way, either through Jews who brought news from Palestine or Judea, they brought news of John the Baptist's ministry. And, and, and they came to believe that John the, John the Baptist was sin of God. And John, the writer of the Gospel, says that there was a man sent from God whose name was John, referring to the Baptist. But many of them did not realize that John's testimony was to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, 
they did, that, that John desired as writing his gospel that they along with many others would come to believe on the Lord Jesus. That's the purpose John gives for his gospel in John 20, 31. He, he speaks of the many signs that Jesus did and he said many other signs Jesus did but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and to believing ye might have life through his name. Hallelujah. How can I have life? I don't have life spiritually in myself. I'm dead and trespassing in sin. How can I have life? What I need is life for this world's going to end. My life will end if Christ doesn't come back while I live. I need life. How can I have life? John says, I'm writing that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm writing that you may believe on the Son of God and believe in you may have life through His name. And as John writes his gospel, he gives us the words of the Lord Jesus, the actions, signs that Jesus did, miracles that pointed who he was. And in doing so, John gives us that testimony, that witness that can help us to know who Jesus is and in knowing him to know life eternal. And, and so it is that John begins in focusing on the testimony, the record, the witness of John the Baptist in order to point men to Christ through that witness that John the Baptist gave. And as he does so, we see how that begins in John's Gospel in verses 19 and following. It begins in the form of some men who came to check John out. They were priests and Levite, John says. Notice the introduction there in verse 19. And this is the record, that is the testimony, the witness of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? Now, the Jews, of course, would have been part of who John was a part of. Our Lord was a Jew. He says later in the words of, of John chapter 4 when he speaks to the Samaritan woman, she, he said to her, Ye know not what, we, what ye worship. But then he added, We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. The Lord Jesus by a virgin womb had become a Jew. And as such, he was there so that he might be the Savior not only of the Jews, but of the Gentile as well. He came that he might save the world indeed, for God so loved the world. The testimony of John 3.16 that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish. Thank God He didn't just come for the Jew. He came for Gentiles. Why, He even came for one white Anglo-Saxon Protestant from down there in Fayetteville, North Carolina. He's preaching to you right now. Thank God for the fact that the love of God knows no boundaries. The boundaries that men set up by way of class, nation, all of those things, God's love isn't bound by that, isn't hindered by that. These Jews, as they'd heard about John's preaching and they'd heard about his baptism, they wanted to check him out. And so they sent priests and Levites, representatives of the Jews' religion in a distinctive way, in a formal way, because the priests would have been those of the line of Aaron within the tribe of Levi who had basically given by God the charge of the temple First, they were given charge of the tabernacle when Moses built it in those early days when Israel came out of Egypt. But then, as Solomon built that house for God's name, the priests were given the charge of the temple. 
and they moved the ark from the tabernacle in Gibeon. And they moved it, excuse me, not the ark, but they moved the tabernacle. The ark had been removed from Obed-Edom's house by David already into the tent that David built. But they removed all of it there and put it in the temple. And the priests were, as it were, the guardians, the custodians of the temple. The Levites were their assistants. They were of the same tribe as those of the line of Aaron who were priests. And the Levites, as assistants to the priests, they would have had a definite interest as well in the religious activity that was taking place within Israel or Judea. And so they come and they ask John a simple question. This is their inquiry. Who art thou? Who are you? Now, it's interesting how John answers. John wants to make it clear that he is not the promised Messiah. Notice his words, verse 20. And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, Christ is later explained, if you'll notice in verse 41, when uh, Simon Peter's brother Andrew goes to him and says, We have found the Messiah's which being interpreted is the Christ. Messiah or Messiah in the Hebrew is Mashiach. It comes from a word which means to anoint. And the Messiah, the Mashiach, was the anointed one. In Israel there were three offices that were marked by anointing, two particularly and especially that of priesthood and that of kingship. But occasionally even prophets were anointed as well. And so in effect, this Messiah this anointed one, the Christ who was expected by the Jews, promised by God to them. He was, if you will, God's anointed prophet, priest, and king. The favored one of God, whom God would send for the salvation of his people, but also as well for the salvation of the nations. And as God had promised that one, the Jews were in great expectation, great anticipation of that at the time when our Lord appeared. I believe in part because Daniel's prophecies had given them reason to expect the Messiah's arrival. Daniel spoke of of, of 70 times and 69 times Messiah would be cut off after that. And so as they counted, I believe, if they could figure out when that began, around 445 B.C., they knew that they were getting real close. Real close. Maybe by hairbreadth even. But they were close. And so there's expectation about Messiah's appearing. And John has appeared and he's baptizing. So they ask him, are you the Christ? Well, they didn't ask him that. They said, who art thou? And he got to the chase before they did. I'm not the Christ. I'm not that one promised. I'm not the Messiah. And then they ask, well, what then? Verse 21, Art thou Elias? That is Elijah. Because you remember in the book of Malachi, God had said He would send Elijah before that great and notable day of the Lord. And He had promised a messenger. And so it was understood that there would be a forerunner. Now, in some measure, John came in the spirit and power of Elias as Gabriel told his father Zechariah in Luke 1. But here John, as he he is... Asked that, he says, I'm not. And John may have not expected himself to be the fulfillment of that. In some measure he was. In some measure, though, there's Elijah yet to come, as our Lord said in Matthew 17. 
Well, that led them to ask another question. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. The prophet here would be the one that Moses had reference to in Deuteronomy 8.15 and and following. He spoke about the fact a prophet will the Lord God raise up unto thee, unto you, like unto me. Him shall ye hear. And he said, it will come to pass that whosoever obeyeth not his word, heareth not his word, shall be cut off from the people. That prophet was understood to be coming. Now in some measure, God gave a succession of prophets, a line of prophets, and yet those prophets were to culminate in the greatest of all prophets, the one who would be Messiah. Now in some measure, they had separated in their thinking this prophet from the Messiah. We understand in the light of God's word of truth in the New Testament that he was the same. But as they asked him, art thou that prophet? He answered, no. And then this is the final question they give. Who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying to the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Hear the words of Isaiah 40. John references to himself. And in the other gospels we find them spoken of, of John the Baptist. In his ministry... He was a voice. Now realize I haven't seen much of it at all. Once in a while I may have seen just a glimmer. But there's been a real popular show lately called The Voice, I believe. And I think it's about singing. Or singing, as we say in the South. It's about singing. And and uh, th- that they're trying to pick out, the I think, the best singer out of the group. Well... John wasn't really interested in being picked out the best singer. I'm not either. I know that I'm not going to be called, but uh, I'm sorry for getting on that other line, brother, because you're good about letting the numbers be known. I was just singing loud as I could, giving it all I could. Brother Kevin was trying to help me out by singing louder because he said, we're not on that verse, brother. But, I don't but uh, John wasn't trying to be a singing voice. He wanted to be a voice of testimony. He wanted to be a voice. And you see, the thing about John's ministry was so simple in one sense. As we mentioned last hour, in John chapter 3, John records about how when men came to him, his own disciples, and said, Master, he whom thou bearest witness to beyond Jordan is making and baptizing more disciples than thee. John looked at him and said, it is, it said a man can receive nothing except it be given him from above. And John went on to speak about the fact that his role was that of a servant. He was not there to draw disciples to himself. He was there to do what he does in chapter 1, to point men to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say to you, brothers and sisters, for us who are saved, that's one of the best things you and I can be is a voice. Because you know, if you heard a voice, it gets your attention. But if there's nobody else there, then basically what you're going to do, just listen to what the voice says. And you see, that's what we're to be, a, we're to be about. Uh, we're to be a voice. <clears throat> I know preaching has its pitfalls because sometimes preachers can get kind of enamored with themselves. I heard about one preacher who's driving home from church one Sunday night after he thought he'd preached a particularly good message. And he told his wife as he drove home, he said, Honey, you know there are very few great preachers left in the world today. She said, Yes, and there's one less than you think. (laughs) 
Sometimes, you know, preachers can get enamored, but you know what? We're only to be a voice. You see, it's not about us. I can remember when I was a young believer back in the 70s, there was a Southern Gospel song. I liked it. It said, nobody wants to play rhythm guitar behind Jesus. Everybody wants to be the lead singer in the band. And you know, it's that, that rhythm guitar player, he usually doesn't get a lot of plaudits. But you take him out of the band and they don't have any... No, no. They can't keep time. Why? Because he's important. And you see, that's like the voice. We need to be a voice. We need to be a testimony. We need to be speaking of Him. And that's what John realized. And he had an important role, I tell you. A really important role because he was to introduce the Lord Jesus Christ to Israel. That was his purpose. That was why God had given that old woman named Elizabeth in her late years a baby by her husband Zechariah the priest. He was given that role. He was to introduce our blessed Savior to Israel and to humanity. He was to be, I believe John 10 would call him the porter, the doorkeeper who opened the door to Israel's Messiah. Many had come and claimed to be, but they were lying. But John had the ability to recognize the real one because John was given a special sign that the Holy Ghost would descend in a bodily form on the Messiah when John baptized him. So that's exactly what happened. John then answers their questions and then answers them in terms of him being a voice. But, but you know what's interesting here, brothers and sisters, is as these men mention the reality of, of God's promises to Israel in terms of some of those names they use. They mention the Christ or Messiah. They mention Elias or Elijah. They mention that prophet, the one of Deuteronomy 18.15. But one thing that these priests and Levites don't mention that John does mention is the Lamb. Isn't that significant? Because you know what the priest's main job was at the temple? Sacrifice. Why did God appoint sacrifice in His temple? Because the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. The blood of turtle doves and pigeons can't take away sin. But God appointed it because He wanted Israel to have object lessons about it. He wanted them to have pictures and types and shadows that would point ahead to the fact that in order for sin to be dealt with, somebody has to take the sinner's place. The Bible calls it, well, the Bible doesn't really use the word. We call it theologically substitution. The Bible's full of it. All the way back from Genesis chapter 3. How so there, Brother David? That's the fall, isn't it? That's the chapter about man and sin, isn't it? Yes, it is. And you remember what our first parents put on when they found out they were naked, as we say in the South? They put on fig leaves. I've never worn them. If you ever see me in Brother Hubert, you'll know I'm touched as we say in the South. I've never worn them. I don't know if they were green. I don't care if they were dry. I ain't wearing them. But that's what our parents put on when they found out they were naked. You know what it's a good picture of? It's a good picture of our efforts to cover up our sin by our works. 
but it's not suitable apparel. But I'm a good person, preacher, and there's none good, the Bible says. I realize we might be relatively good compared to others. I mean, after all, the person who doesn't pay his taxes may not beat his wife. And the person who beats his wife may not get drunk. You know, we all think we're better because we don't do certain things other people do. But the bottom line is the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. I don't measure up, I can't measure up to God's standard because His standard is higher than our standard. His standard's not my standard. My standard doesn't matter. His standard, the judge of all the earth's the standard that matters. And I can't be good enough in myself to measure you're up to his standard and so what did God give our parents he took away their fig leaves and they wore they had skins given to them and those skins required what in order to be given to our first parents there had to be the death of a sacrifice in other words that animal took the place as a substitute. And I believe, brothers and sisters, I realize when, when God said, uh, the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die, we say, well, he died spiritually. Humanity did die spiritually. Adam, but I believe Adam died physically that day, but not in himself. He died how? In a substitute. That animal took his place. And he couldn't take his place, but he pointed ahead. You see, every animal that was slain, every turtle dove, bullock, goat, pigeon, sheep, lamb, every one pointed ahead. And as it were, they said, I'm a promissory. I can't take away sin, but someone's coming. Oh, I'm getting happy. Ah, someone's coming who'll take away sin. Someone's coming whose blood will be enough. Hallelujah. Someone's coming who, and we sung it already, that hymn, Are You Washed in the Blood? I love that one of Brother Elisha. Uh, brother, brother, and his last name won't come to me now. I know it's uh, been by the Red Church where his daddy pastored up there in Schuylkill County, Pennsylvania. Elisha Hoffman, there it is. He asked, what can wash away my sin? And he answered, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's what John is interested in. You see, John's not about himself. John's about the one whom he is to introduce. The one of whom he is forerunner. And when he shows up, he, well, he's talked about him already. He, he said, as we see there regarding him, I can't eat, I'm not even worthy to, uh, 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 to loose his shoe latchet. Verse 27. He's after me, but he's preferred before me. Why? Because he was before me. That's what John recorded back in his prologue we saw. And in these things, brothers and sisters, John makes it clear that it's not about him. Notice his words in verse 26. John answered, well, let's read their question too first. Verses 24 and 25. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. You don't know Him. You don't recognize Him. But I know. I've seen. He's been recognized. John speaks of the fact 
that he was come baptizing for this purpose. Then in verse 29 we read this, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now hear these words I believe are instructive. Now I used to understand verse 29 this way, that John that day baptized Jesus, but I don't believe that's right. John just points him out. John identifies him for the crowd because earlier what had happened, Jesus had come to him and Jesus had requested baptism. And you remember what Matthew 3 records? John said to Jesus, It is I who should be baptized of thee and comest thou to me. And yet Jesus, because he knew it was the Father's will, that he be identified this way to John, submits to baptism. But I believe there was another reason he submitted to baptism. In order to identify with those he had come to save. He'd come to save what? Sinners. And those who had gone down into the baptismal waters, it was a baptism of repentance. And by their repentance, what were they acknowledging? I'm a sinner. And that's where a lot of folk have their problems, you know. Kind of like when, when Fonzie had to say, I was wrong, you know. He gets stuck in this road, I was him. No, but these men had admitted that. These people had come to the baptism and said, John, that's what I am. I need to repent. I need to turn from my sin. I need the grace of God. And the Lord Jesus comes to that baptism. And I like what old brother Harry Ironside said. They'd gone down to Jordan confessing their sins and laying their bad debts there in the water. Jesus came along with no sin and He picked up all their bad debts and took them to Calvary and paid their bad debts. Now I realize that's not in Scripture, but that's a good picture of why He showed up. You see, in His identification as the Lamb of God, He was identifying with sinners in His baptism and showing that He had come to save sinners. You see, this is the message of Scripture that we so often lose sight of. And it seems so clearly there in Matthew chapter 9. You remember when, when Jesus had called Matthew, like we see in the words here of John 1.43, follow me. Jesus had got gone to Matthew. Matthew the tax collector, sitting there at the receipt of custom, gathering in his money. And Jesus passes by and says, follow me. Oh, praise God for sovereign grace. Because Matthew, I'm sure he would have left to himself any other day. He would have said, forget that. I, I got my money here. But that day he left his money. Why? Because when Jesus showed up, grace showed up. When Jesus showed up and said, follow me, the Word of God was accompanied by the power of the Spirit of God. And Matthew could say like Mr. Wesley did in that great hymn, And Can It Be? He said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening, a life-giving ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And Matthew followed him. Matthew's so excited about meeting Jesus. You know the joy. You remember some of you I know when you were first saved, the joy that came, that first love. Ooh, isn't it sweet? And then they, and Matthew's got that joy bubbling up inside and flowing out of him. All he wants to do is his friends to meet Jesus. So he has a party. 
But I'll bet this was unlike any other party Matthew had thrown before for his friends. I'll bet some of them showed up and said, I like those parties Matthew has. But this is going to be a different one. Because at the center of this party is the Lord Jesus. And there Jesus is among all of Matthew's friends, tax collectors, publicans, harlots, sinners. And the Pharisees see it and the Pharisees say, Did you see who he's hanging around with? And they got up to his disciples, Why eateth thy master with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answered them well, didn't he? They that are well need not a physician. The well don't need a doctor. The sick do. I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And that, brothers and sisters, is why He's come. And John knew that. And he says as he sees Him there walking the banks of Jordan, having already baptized Him and seen the testimony of the Spirit that He is indeed the Messiah, He now bears witness to Him. But He doesn't say, Behold the Christ. He doesn't say, Behold the prophet. He doesn't say, This is the successor of Elijah and I'm the forerunner. No. He says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away not just the sin of Israel, but the sin of the world. Aren't you glad He did not come? He would just come to save Israel. We couldn't complain. I'd go to hell and get what I deserve. But I'm glad this morning He came not just for Israel, but He came for those from every kindred, tribe, tongue, people, nation of the earth. Hallelujah. And brothers and sisters, John knew that. Not many Jews seemed to know it. Peter didn't remember when he was going to have to go preach at Cornelius' household, Acts 10. He didn't remember it. He had to be schooled in it. That curtain, that sheet dropped down from heaven three times with all kinds of clean and unclean animals. And Peter was told, rise, Peter, kill and eat by God. And Peter said, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. God said, What God's cleanse call not thou uncommon, call not common or unclean. And God was showing Peter, took a while to learn that lesson. Even later, he, he, he unremembered it, remember? <laughs> Acts Antioch, Galatians chapter 2. But, brothers and sisters, John had seen it. Simeon had seen it. Before John, when Jesus was born and presented at the temple, remember, he spoke about the Lord Jesus. He took it in his arms and he said, Oh, Lord, let me now depart in peace. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. John the Baptist had seen the reality. He'd come not just for Israel, but he'd come for the nations. He'd come for the Gentiles. The Goyim, as the, Jew, as the Jews called them. Those, those non-Jewish nations, he'd come, hallelujah, for them as well. And let me say this, as the Lamb of God, he's the only one who can take away our sin. No one else can do it. And as the Lamb, He is the Lamb of God. You see, I read about Abel's Lamb back there in Genesis 4. I read about Israel's Lamb in the Passover in in Exodus chapter 12. I read about Abraham's Ram in Genesis chapter 22. You remember that one? He's taken Isaac up to offer him because God said to do it. And he's going to obey. By faith, he did that. And yet as he gets up there on Moriah... 
that mountaintop where later the temple was to be built. As he gets up there on Mount Moriah, God tells him, Stay thy hand. The angel of the Lord speaks. And then he turns. And remember as they were going up the mountain, Isaac was taking the wood. Abraham had the fire and the knife, but Isaac was taking the wood. What a picture, carrying the wood up the hill. Like the Savior, 2,000 years later nearly, who carried some wood up a hill. But in this case, God spared not his son, but in this case, Abraham's son was spared. And brothers and sisters, God caused Abraham to turn his head. Hey, but I was going to say this. Isaac, remember going up the mountain and asked, Father, here's the fire and here's the wood, but where's the lamb? And you remember what Abraham said? God shall provide himself a lamb. God's going to provide that lamb. And I know the King James translates it in that way. I kind of like it. God provided him self as the lamb but that's 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 free no extra charge there and what happened the lamb had appeared now by the way when Abram looked remember what he saw he saw a thorned crowned ram because that ram was caught in a thicket by its horns thorn crowned that's amazing isn't it what God's word shows us and later there's a savior John gives us his testimony of what he saw and as well what happened as he followed the Lord Jesus. Forsook him for a while, but then came, knew they were going to take him to the high priest's house. His family was friends with the high priest. He goes there. And then he goes to Judgment Hall. The Lord Jesus does from Judgment Hall to Judgment Hall. And they crown him with thorns. Thorns and evidence of the curse. Why do thorns grow? Weeds still grow because there's a curse on this old earth. And as that earth plant has been afflicted with thorns as a curse, the Lord Jesus was treated as a cursed one with those thorns about his brow. And as they placed them on him, God was making clear the message. He's taken the place of sinners. He's doing as the Lamb of God for sinners what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's what John was about, brothers and sisters. And because of that, he could, as we, as we see in John 19.30, he could cry as he took that debt of sin that you and I could never have paid in an eternity in hell under the wrath of God in the lake of fire. One day sinners are going to be placed there. It will be a day of great sadness, I believe, great mourning. But brothers and sisters, it will be a day of justice because our sin will get what it deserves. But the reason hell is forever is because you can never get out of God's debt or prison paying your sin debt and hell penalty. If you pay it yourself, you'll never finish paying it. Christ Jesus, when He paid that debt, He cried, It is finished. Because he could pay in full that debt as God and man in his glorious person. And that's what he did. And he did as the cup said. He drank damnation dry. And that's why we who know him celebrate great God of wonders. All thy ways are matchless godlike and divine. But the fair glories of thy grace more matchless and unrivaled shine. What does that include? Pardon for crimes of deepest you. 
I've sinned against Him. But God pardons for Jesus' sake because Jesus took our place. And that, brothers and sisters, is what John pointed out. He did not live to see it. John the Baptist, that is. John the Baptist was put to death by Herod. But I can only imagine when our Savior is welcomed back to paradise, the reunion that would have took place between him and his cousin, John. I don't think he said, cousin, good to see you. I think he said, Lord, it's good to see you. And they had a reunion that I don't think you and I can fathom. John, who introduced him, I'm sure he would have said, I'm so glad to have been a voice to speak of thee and to point men to thee and to tell them, Behold the Lamb of God. Now he does it again, you'll notice in verse 36. And by the way, that word behold is an imperative, it's a command. Behold the Lamb of God, verse 29. And then verse 36, Behold the Lamb of God. John says it again as he sees Jesus walking the next day. There Jesus is. John stands there with two of his disciples. One of them appears to be John, the writer of the Gospel, and the other, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And as they hear John speak, they ask the Lord Jesus, where dwellest thou? And Jesus says, He first of all asks them, what, seekest, what seek ye? And they ask Him, Master, where dwellest thou, Rabbi? And He says in verse 39, Come and see. Come and see. I love those words. Now later, when uh, Philip finds Nathaniel, and Nathaniel says, Can there anything good come out of Nazareth? He says, Come and see. And I say that to you today. Come and see. I'd say that to you in the words of Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, if you get a taste, I can tell you this, you'll want some more. I've eaten some good food here lately. I eat some good food a whole lot. But I'll tell you what, sometimes when you put one of them good shrimp in your mouth, and I hope you can eat shrimp. If you can't, some people are allergic. But when you put one of them and it's lightly breaded and that shrimp flavor comes out, it, mm, it just, I mean, it's good. I ain't trying to make y'all hungry. I'm just trying to make a point. But when you taste and see, you know, some things people say they don't like. Some reason, some reason they don't like because they never tried it. When you taste and see, you'll find out the Lord is good. Come and see, I say to you this morning. Years ago, I was pastor of Westside Baptist Church up in York, Pennsylvania. York County, that is. Thomasville was the little borough it was in. We had a man who was a brother-in-law to one of the men in the church. His brother-in-law and I went to see him. His name was Carl Chambers. We visited with him that Thursday night and we talked a little bit. Didn't really talk a lot about the Lord, but... As we were leaving that night, Carl looked at me and he said, David, he said, I'm from southwestern Virginia. He said, there's a whole lot of different kinds of Baptists up there. He said, there's missionary Baptists, there's pre-primitive Baptists, there's free will Baptists. He said, what kind of Baptist are you? 
I said, well, Carl, one day the Lord Jesus walked on the banks of Jordan and John the Baptist was preaching and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The next day he was there with two of his disciples and he said the same thing. Behold the Lamb of God. And, and uh, they followed him, those two disciples, and they asked him, Master, where dwellest thou? And he said, Come and see. Carl, you've asked me what kind of Baptist I am. I said, The best thing I can tell you is come and see. That Sunday, Carl came to see him. That's what he did. He shook my hand. He said, I've come to see. He left that Sunday morning. He said, I'll be back. He came back the next Sunday. I preached the gospel again. He said, I'll be calling you. He called me that week. He said, David, something's got a hold of me that I can't, that won't let go. In my heart, I said, praise God. The Spirit of God was convicting him of his sin and showing him his need of a Savior. I went to see him. Tried as the best I could to show him from the Scriptures how God saves sinners. He called on the Lord and trusted Him. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to you this morning, come and see. If there's any here that's lost, I say come and see. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good. He will save you as you look to Him in repentance and faith. And I want to say as well, for us who are saved, and we just go out in the world and tell others, come and see. Because you see, it doesn't depend on us. All we have to do is point them to Him. Come and see. Come and see. And brothers and sisters, there's good news for all who come and see. You wind up doing like these boys did. They spent the day with Him. They wind up doing more than that. They'll spend an eternity with Him. What a Savior He is. But I'd say to you, behold the Lamb. Charles Spurgeon was a man under conviction of sin. The preacher that we hear quoted so often, he was under conviction of sin. But he couldn't find any help. He'd go to church and nobody really preached the good news to him. He heard a lot about different things, but one day he went to a he was going to go to church and a snowstorm came. And he couldn't go to the place he planned to go to. He had to turn aside to a little primitive Methodist chapel. The preacher didn't show up because of the snow. And so a man stood up. Mr. Virgin wasn't sure what his profession was. But he stood up and he, he tried to give out a few lines. And he, he preached that morning from Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me, all of the ends of the earth, and be ye saved. For I am God, there's none else. Just God and the Savior. Mr. Spurgeon said the man didn't have much to say, but there seemed to be a glimmer of hope in that text for him. And he said, the man told him, now look and don't take a great deal of pains. He said, you don't have to be worth a thousand a year to look. Even a child can look. But he said, ah, the text says look unto me. He said, some of you are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. And then he addressed Mr. Spurgeon. He said, young man, you look miserable. Mr. Spurgeon said, well, I did, but I wasn't accustomed to comments about my looks being made from the pulpit. <laughs> he said, you look miserable. And then the man said, and you always will be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death unless you obey my text. But if you look now, Mr. Spurgeon said, he was enabled to look at that moment. He said, I looked till I could have looked my eyes away. And he said, there was nothing so beautiful as seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say to you today, come and see. I say to you today, behold 
the Lamb of God. May God by grace give you eyes to look, faith to believe. Let's pray. Father, we ask You now to bless Your Word in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we ask that You'd honor Him by Your Spirit through the Word in enabling someone or someones to look in His worthy name. Amen.